Good day. Welcome to Shepherd the Sheep podcast. This is Jason Vaughn with Pastor Gino Glermo and Pastor John Chester. And today we will be having the kind of discussion that you do not have at a formal dinner party where we will include topics on church and politics. good day. We pray that you're having a good day today. And uh, if you're joining this podcast, we are also uh, glad to welcome special guest uh, John Chester to the discussion, Uh, probably one that uh, really needs no introduction as of to why it would be important. But uh, since this podcast is dedicated to helping you think about uh, what it means to be a churchman and what it means to be excellent at serving your local church and doing ministry, uh, certainly politics uh, creeps into the church discussion. It's a part of our life. It's a part of right the nation we live in. And so um, we, we want to ask some questions. And uh, we have the best special guest that we could bring on for this discussion. Uh, and so, uh, John, you want to tell, tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um Well, there's two things that are important to understand. First is that I pastor a little church in Haymark, Virginia, which is kind of right at the nexus of where suburban D.C. meets horse country meets the rural former confederacy. So in our church, we have this mix of people whose life centers around Washington, D.C., um, for instance, one of our elders on that day, he retired. They gave him the flag that flew over the Pentagon. But we also have normal, everyday people um, whose life has nothing to do with Washington, D.C. So those kinds of people mix in our church. And um, the other thing that, that, that gives me some insight is Prior to salvation, um, I worked for a while in the realm of politics. I worked inside the White House um, as a employee of, of uh, the first Bush political organization. Um, when I was in the White House, I was in the Office of Political Affairs, and then subsequently I worked um, for for a few Senate campaigns um, and congressional campaigns. So I was kind of a purely political animal, nothing to do with policy, but um, I was involved in the operation of politics at a seminary professor who liked to call me political operative, John Chester. So between those two things, I have a fair amount of exposure to thinking through um, how, how a believer interacts with politics and, and so forth. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite an insight. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, this can be an interesting conversation for me because I'm, I don't know, maybe I'd be a political layman. I don't know much about politics, but um, have I think like most Christians have found myself kind of engrossed in what's been going on uh, recently. I, I think it's hard not to, right? Because I think it's affecting everyone's life almost in the way of lockdowns and, you know, government uh, reaching into our lives in a way that they've never done before. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, I get all my political news from memes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, hey, John, so uh, kind of a question. Uh, I can't remember her name. The She was the lead correspondent in the White House for like 30 years. Was it Helen? Mm-hmm. Helen? Um, I can see her face. It's Helen. Um, Thomas? Yeah, I think that's right, actually. Yeah, she made a, she came to our university once in Oklahoma and told us, she was like, uh, Nixon or Ford said, you know about 10% of what's really going on. And that's because we choose to tell you. And so kind of just, just to start the discussion, uh, you know, you, you have a lot of interacting, you know, there's a lot of news media. There's, you know, there's news medias on, you know, the, the political spectrum. Uh, but, but my question is from somebody who was in there in general, how much do we really know that's going on? And I I don't, the goal here is not to take this down like the Joe Rogan, like conspiracy thing. The goal here is to just kind of like set this into some kind of reality, right? So that we're dealing with reality and not a narrative here. So, yeah. So what, what, how much do we like kind of, you know, thinking back to your time and you probably read news articles and compared it with what was going on and how much do we really know? I would say 10% is probably a little high. Yeah, okay. And I would say we need to, to um, draw a distinction between what we know and what we care about. When was the last time you saw or read an article about watershed policy? Yeah, that would, uh, the answer would be never. Yeah, there's, <laughs> and there's so much like that. Um, that affects drastically the livelihood of some people, but that isn't sexy, doesn't get people to tune in, so it doesn't get reported on the same way. Um, so you might say we, what we hear from the media and what's probably really going on behind closed doors are probably two different worlds. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. So if we, if we know virtually nothing, then at some level we are, um, right. We're kind of, well, it'd behoove us to like take sides almost to the, to the point where we're like almost, uh, uh, I don't know, treating other people as, you know, absolute enemies. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just thinking if we if we don't know what's going on, then then it does it does bridge the question like a lot of us think we know what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's always kind of one of those, you know, every now and then even in the church somebody will 
you know, comment on the elders doing something and you're kind of like, mm, that's actually not what we're doing, you know, and you kind of, it kind of makes you realize there's an information gap between that person's perception and what's really going on behind, behind closed doors, which. Right. Yes. Very much so. I mean, speaking of, uh, government and, and COVID things, you know, I talked to somebody at church a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about a specific issue, uh, related to that. They were like, well, why don't you do this? And I was like, well, we kind of talked about why we're not going to do that in the 30 hours the elders talked about it. So it's, you know, what's going on behind closed doors and the doors of government are actually closed. We just don't care to look into them. Um, hmm. It's enormous. Yeah. Now, what did you say, John? You said, we have to, there has to be a distinction about what we know and uh, something else. I forgot what you said. I was, I was trying to follow. Yeah. That. What we know and, and what we actually care about. Oh, what we um, care about. Okay. What, what did you mean by that? What, what I'm talking about is um, we've kind of bought into this idea of coalition politics where, you know, issue A, B, C, and D, and E are lined up on, on one side of the aisle and um, issue F, G, H, elemental P are on the other side of the aisle. And um, even though you might not care about issue A, because issue C is important to you, it drives, you know, you, you side with that side no matter what. And so whatever one of those issues is going to, most inflamed people is what gets reported on. And then we're basically just tribally synced up those things. Ah, uh, you mentioned the, the T word tribal. <laughs> that's what mm -hmm. I actually, that's actually what I've been thinking about recently. Um, you know, this whole uh, race thing is actually a tribal war. It's not really a race war. Right. Yeah, that's a, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, it's a difficult, um, I know even um, the limited amount of involvement I had in Oklahoma politics, one of the things I was surprised about was behind closed doors, how how much more alike everybody actually was than when they were doing public speeches or kind of like, it was almost like a public speech was a rally the troops speech. Right. And behind closed doors, you actually found out that they're like best friends with this person they're running against governor for, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how it was in your experience. My assumption would be that it was kind of similar, but. Yeah. It, in my experience, um, from the time I was around those things, um, the, the way everybody thought was very much we're playing the same game. We're on different teams, and those of us who are playing the game are better than everybody else. Mm. So it, it wasn't a matter of, you know, half the country is behind us and we're for them, and we're opposing this other half of the country. It was a small group who was opposing everybody and pursuing their own self interest. That actually coordinates with scripture. <laughs> 
That makes sense. Right? Do not look out for your own personal interest because a spirit humility drives us to care about others, whereas pride would, you know, hey, I'm I'm the guy. Like, almost a, you should be right. thankful yeah. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's... That's helpful for, I think for me, it's helpful because as we're, as we're talking about, you know, ultimately the goal of the podcast is to talk a little bit about how do we as churchmen navigate, uh, politics. And for me, if I kind of realize I don't actually have all the details, then Mm -hmm. for me, there's this, you know, I want to be slower to speak about things that I'm aware I don't know all the details about. You know, it's right. it's one thing for me to go into the post office, you know, every Friday and do the same thing. And then one Friday I come in and there's a note that changes what I did every Friday before that. And, you know, my knee jerk reaction is to instantly Monday morning quarterback and criticize the post office. Uh, but the reality is if I were in the room when the post office made that policy change that affected my life, and I had all the information before them that they had, I might've been like, Oh, that's the smart decision. You know, some people are going to have to get used to the change. Uh, you know, or even that, that happened to me at work all the time where your, your, your company would make a change and you'd kind of bemoan the change in policy and kind of complain about it. But the reality is a lot of times when you're in the room and you have all the information before you there, there's a logical best choice that everybody needs to make, you know? And so I think for me, it, it just being aware of that has caused me to slow down in terms of speaking about issues. And that, that's biblical. I mean, right. what does scripture say? Be slow to speak, quick to listen. Right. What does Proverbs say? Even the fool seems wise when he remains silent. Yeah. And we're, we're in this, cultural place where everybody thinks they have to have an opinion about everything and they have to tell everybody what their opinion is. And that, that's frankly unbiblical. We don't need to have an opinion about everything that we need to express. You know, if you don't know something, you don't need to talk about it. Right. Well, and that, that brings up, I think the kind of a next point here that often what we see, uh, by the way, I started a social media fast, so I'm not seeing this anymore. It's been quite mm-hmm. stress-free. Uh, my coffee tastes a little better. Um, yeah. Wow. So, uh, Impressive. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, but, but there's a concern. I think we, we talked before we started recording among all of us about the amount of anger or vitriol that we see from Christians uh, and, and people that we love and know love Christ, but there's almost an accepted attitude among what we would even call very conservative, you know, people who very seriously want to come under the authority of God's word towards mm-hmm. political leaders and even people in different political parties, um, which is an interesting, if you think about that, like to sit there, to sit around in your house and kind of justify, you know, your own anger towards a political person uh, or towards a political party. Like really you're not, you're not, the Bible's not 
you know, God's will is not shaping your thinking on that. In fact, something else is shaping your thinking on that. And uh, maybe, maybe even like a, maybe a, a worldly philosophy that we kind of, I don't know, are we buying into it because we're telling ourselves, well, this is politics and this is serious and, you know, the threat of Marxism prevents us from, you know, allow, justifies this behavior? I mean, I don't know, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, you alluded to Colossians 2.8 not to be taken captive by worldly philosophy. Absolutely, I think a lot of people have, and it's subtle and it gets a hold of you. Why is it the predominant Christian position that environmentalism is bad? I mean, if you look at especially the Old Testament law, there's things about crop rotation, about how you treat animals, about forest management. And if we hadn't neglected those things, what is biblically specified, they couldn't have been weaponized politically. Hmm. So right. now that they are, and we buy into it, that I heard a, um, a famous conservative preacher um, end the sermon by saying, walk on the grass, drive a gas guzzler, do whatever. I'm like, what on earth does that have to do with the word of God? Why is that the biblical position that you should not be a steward of the earth? Why is it the biblical position that you should um, always favor low taxes? Why is it the biblical position that taxation is theft? Why is it the biblical position that we should be international and eventualist? Now, all of that stuff may be fine. We can talk about that, but that's not a biblical position. And it seems to me that people have been taken captive because they think those are hills that they need to, if not die on, at least fight on. Right. And I I just don't, don't see that spring out of the word of God. No, uh, your points, your points very valid, right? Um, you know, not, not talking about any of those issues specifically, but you know, you take care you take count, you take, um, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. And I think a lot of us read that and think about, Oh, don't, don't buy into the German liberals perspective on scripture. Or don't don't buy into the the American progressive liberals view on love or on the family. And and that that may be true. Like, right, I mean, unbelieving tribes or groups are going to advocate a worldview about the family that's not biblical. But but in our engaging of politics, we seem to be kind of saying, hey, because you're not in this circle with us you're an enemy and now i have right. a right to like belittle you to mock you to insult you um to to create memes belittling you you know and so i would argue that's a philosophy yeah i think so i think like, yeah for someone like me i'm like man like how do i 
right? How do I fight, right? Because people want to people want to fight a good fight, right? Fight the good fight. Well, what does that look like? And um, I think the more I, I navigate through politics, it's it's it doesn't change for the church. We're actually st- like preaching truth week in week out, living out truth um, needs to be consistent. And it, it and so when we preach truth, we are fighting against worldly philosophies, right? Because we're we are saying what's right. I think the difference is how we treat people um, when we end up making them, uh, when we end up treating them without kindness and treating yeah. them, you know what I mean? Calling them names that are unhelpful um, when rather we should be, uh, we should be seeking out truth and not, not speaking when we don't know what we're talking about. And we sh- but at the same time, what we do know is we know the gospel. Right. And that, that like never changes. Right. Yeah. Cause I, right. Yeah, John, what you didn't say, like, you know, I, personally, I'm thankful for the forestry department because we, we go camping up in Utah a couple times a year, and I've actually come to respect the way that they manage the land up there. And you realize mm-hmm. that it's the National Parks and Rec, and they, they do a good job of trying to, one, help you enjoy creation, while, two, also trying to do a good job of, like, you know, trying to provide some level of responsibility to maintain things in a good way. Um, you know, so for me, it's like, it's okay if a, if a new policy comes out and you as an individual say, Hey, I think this policy went too far one way or the other. Like to me, that's, that's okay to have that conviction because sometimes when I, when we talk about these things that three of us are talking about, what people hear us saying is it's not okay to have a conviction about this issue. And that's not what we're saying. Like, it is okay to say, hey, I think there are too many water regulations. Okay, that's probably a fair discussion. Um, you right. know, but the line is is in the attitude and the way that we approach it. And and accept, so at accepting in our, in our head, oh, it's okay that I belittle these. It's okay that I belittle NFL players because I disagree with them politically. Well, like the Bible actually says, no, it's not actually okay to do that. Like love, if, if you consider them enemies, you have to love your enemies. So, you know, you're, you're buying into a philosophy that's accepting that to where you're, you're justifying your sinful behavior towards people because of the political distinctions, right? Not, and at that point, Christ isn't even an issue. Yeah, right. Man. Yeah. Go ahead, John. No, I, I think those are, good and valid conversations to have, and I wasn't saying they aren't, or that it's wrong to um, have those opinions. They all, how you interact on them has to be subsumed under the commandment of First Peter 2.17 to honor everyone. Amen. So if you're not honoring them, if you're belittling them or mocking them or, you know, angry towards them, it doesn't really matter what your conviction is because you've already started off in sin. Yeah, I agree. You know, honor everyone. That's a, a command, a present active imperative. This is what you are to do. Yeah. And it doesn't matter why you're breaking that command. It just matters that you are. So calling somebody a libtard that's the sin that nailed Christ to the cross. Yeah. It doesn't matter why you did it. Mm. That's true. Yeah. 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 By the way, I, I, I thought from the, just 
yeah, we completely agreed with you up front too. Yeah. Um, we just kind of know the way some of these conversations get heard among our audience. So that kind of clarifications, um, but it's interesting, right? Honor everyone. And there's no exception clause in that command there in first in first Peter two seventeen either. Yeah. When Paul right. and it goes on to say, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And the mm. emperor there at that time when Peter was writing was Nero. Mm. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, well, when Paul um met with Caesar, he didn't like call him a pedophile like up front, right? <laughs> it's like, hey, you fool, you're a pedophile. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was kind to him, told him to gave him the gospel. Yeah, you think maybe that's that's it too, right? I, I wonder if some of us are justifying our our, you know, dishonor to use this language because we're saying, well, no, you know, I hear this all the time. Well, respect is earned. If you want my respect, then you'll earn my respect. And it seems like Peter would, you know, if you said that to Peter, you might, you might almost like get a reaction out of Peter of like, what are you thinking? You know, that, that is not at all the perspective you should have. Right. Our respect for people is based on knowing that they bear the image of God, that they were created in the image of God. And if they are unbelievers, of course, if we really believe that they are enslaved to sin as unbelievers, why would we expect them not to act like they're enslaved to sin? Right. And why would we treat them as enemies? That's a that is a phenomenal point. Goes back to expectations. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, which I think kind of is a good roll into the to to another point that you know so. Right. If we're realizing, you know, you kind of start to, to break this issue down and realize, one, we don't know everything's going on, which means when you don't know everything's going on, there's got to be a level of charity issued to people. Um, and I th- also think, right, that if I trust God's sovereignty, then I don't need to know everything that went on when, when, a, when leaders or a group of leaders makes a decision. Um. But the second part is that realization of, oh, wow, it's actually not okay for me to be sinful towards these people or to hate hate people, which kind of comes up to the next point, and that is what should we probably be most concerned about when it comes to political leaders and people in political parties? Mm-hmm. Not only the other political party, but our own political party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think first and foremost, we need to be concerned about their salvation. Yeah, amen. You know, we, we want them to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ more than anything else. And if all heaven rejoices when a sinner repents, mm, right. and it's so great a miracle that even angels long to look into it, mm. shouldn't that be our focus? Yeah, amen. Yes, if, if I could have just... Step back and observe. I, I feel like the news media, like if I can compare it to churches, it, it's almost like you know churches who um, I think of like the seeker friendly church where they use emotion to sweep you off your feet and kind of uh, trying to turn you in a certain direction so that you can join their camp. 
it's all an emotional kind of um, uh, persuasion. Right? They're trying to be emotionally persuasive over, hey, like uh, the news media should be, hey, give us the facts, right? And like, let's let's exegete the facts and come up with good solutions. But instead, they're they're, they're wanting to turn us into enemies. Um, right. Yeah, so that we could fight and 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 you know get our way. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, I think go go ahead, John. That goes back to expectations. Even when Gina was talking, that expectation he expresses that the media would inform us. That's not their job. Their job is to sell advertising. Oh, a good point. <laughs> yep, yep. A good point. <laughs> what keeps us what keeps people glued and tuned in is fear. And yeah. kind of the the and I'm paraphrasing here, but the father of modern media, William Randolph Hearst said, no one ever went broke predicting the end of the world. Mm. So from the jump, emotional manipulation with the profit motive has been driving the media. And as believers, we shouldn't, you know, that's as worldly a philosophy as you could possibly have that can take you captive. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be subtle. You know, of course we're not going to be taken captive by, you know, the worldly idea of sexual behavior or something like that. What takes believers captive is something subtle. Mm. I mean, dogs don't laugh up bleach because bleach tastes nasty. Mm. But you have to watch dogs around antifreeze antifreeze is sweet tasting hmm. that's that's what gets us that subtle thing that tastes so good it tastes so good to be angry about the latest thing on Netflix that exploits children it tastes so good because we hate Netflix we have to hate everything else too that's issue N and issue A, B, C, D, and E. Those people also hate issue N. So we have to hate what they hate. Mm. And that's how we're taking captive. You know, it's funny. Um, I'm going to confess something. I saw something about uh, the disgusting nature of cuties. Mm-hmm. And my first thought was, why are we bashing little oranges? <laughs> yeah, see, if you a little it, confession it, 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 of a little confession there that I had no idea. See, so you 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 weren't watching the news, that's why you don't know what. Yeah, I didn't know what's <laughs> going on. Yeah, I was like, what is wrong with little oranges? My wife buys them for my kids all the time. Like yeah. they love them. <laughs> yeah, you know, John, I, I think what you said is spot on. Um, that's subtle, right? I can tell you as many times as I've read through Colossians two eight. I always think like when I th- when I even think of the philosophies that take us captive, I never think about like the little trains of thought that maybe develop in your head. You know, in in things that you're like, oh, I don't need to think about how I drive down the road, or or I don't, you know. Like even in the way you love your wife or you love your kids, like it's in right. It's you read that and you're like, yeah, don't let Nietzsche take me captive. Don't let Kant take me captive, you know, but, but you're right. I mean, 
you know, I think even in the screw tape letters, uh, C.S. Lewis draws this out that it's subtle things that 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 demons would use that Satan would use to draw our eyes off of Christ, and sometimes those subtle things, even on the surface, are like noble things, you know. And it's like, well, who wouldn't you know stand for this? But again, that that twisting comes in not that we're like, you know, not that we're standing. We're st- we might be saying, hey, this is a righteous subject that's worthy of standing for. But the twisting comes in that the way we approach it actually takes our mind off of this peacekeeping mission that we've been given. So now we're standing for the subject with no concern for those, the salvation of those who oppose us. Yeah, the hardest thing to do is to not bash the bad guy. Yes. I think. I think that's what, like, and, uh, you know, many, uh, many many Christians probably do believe that the way to fight evil is to bash the bad guy. Yeah. When in reality, I think of like Ephesians 6, the armor of God, it's really standing for true, standing firm in what we do believe without, at the same time, still honoring people. Yeah. Um, and that, that's what I'm walking away with, right? In this conversation, it's like, man, yeah, all people need to be honored because they're made in the image of God. Yes. Despite how gross their ideas are. We can't just we, we can't just bash them specifically, but we have to teach them and walk with them and find a way, find an in so that we could, uh, instead of them being captivated by worldly philosophy, but win them to the philosophy or at least the wisdom of God. Right. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And um, you know, at some point, we start to put the things that, that we're talking about philosophically and put some teeth on them, right? You have this reality that that president Trump is going to stand before Christ. Um, Joe Senator Joe or vice president Joe Biden is going to stand before Christ, right? Nancy Pelosi is going to stand before Christ. Chief justice, John Roberts is going to stand before Christ. I mean, these are human beings made in the image of God. These are not, demons who took on flesh right they they their mother and their father right involved in that gave birth to them the same way we were given birth right they have the same nature as us by nature uh, we reject the truth as and suppress the truth in unrighteousness as much as they uh, did and maybe do uh and you know they're going to stand before christ and have to give an account and I kind of wonder, like, where's our soul, where's our perspective at if we don't want them to hear, welcome home, son, welcome home, daughter, you know? Um, and I think Psalm 2 has made a lot more sense to me lately, too. You know, why are the nations in their uproar and the people dev- people's devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take their counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. And, and that does draw out that, that the most of us humans in an unbeliever state want to rule without the authority of God over us. But he who sits in heaven laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury saying, but as for me, I have installed my King upon Zion, my holy mountain. And it's that reality that, that, you know, President Trump or the prime minister, no matter what they do, they don't get to take away the kingdom from the king. But I love the way the psalm finishes. I will surely tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son today. I've begotten you. 
Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, right, speaking back to the political leaders, show discernment, take warning, O judge of the earth, worship the Lord with reverence, and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that he may not become angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And what's interesting to me is there's the Lord calling out to Donald Trump, Chief Justice Roberts, the Prime Minister of England, the Queen of England, you know, kings and the queens of the earth. And he's telling them, hey, come to me, worship me with reverence, rejoice with trembling, and do homage to the Son. And so even though the world scoffs at him, even in Psalm 2, the Lord's perspective is, I don't want you to be on the side of my wrath. I want you to be on the side of worship and reverence and paying homage, which is the right side of the line to be on. Amen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Psalm two, uh, you know, usually Psalm one was like my favorite early Christian, but now like Psalm two has really real helped redefine that. And, and I wonder like, what, what kind of things do we need to do? Is it as simple as remind yourself when you read an article about these political people, is it as simple as reminding yourself these are human beings made in the image of God? I mean, are there anything else that we can do to practically kind of like snap our head out of the world philosophy and kind of think about this biblically? Is it we need to grow our convictions? I'm just kind of brainstorm asking you guys what you think here. Yeah. I'm yeah. Deferring to John here. <laughs> I think that we need to remember that they are human beings not demons, and also not um, characters in a show that we're watching on TV. Mm, great point. Like you said, these are real people who one day stand before God. And so we, our first concern for them ought to be for their eternal soul. Mm. You know, we should rejoice if a vile sinner repents, whether their sin is um, something that everyone sees and agrees is gross, whether they're a carjacker or whether they're um, an unbelieving family values conservative. Mm. Our joy over their repentance should be exactly the same and our desperation for their repentance that they would acknowledge Christ the only way should be the same. Hmm. There's there's a much smaller, infinitely smaller difference between those two people in Christ, I think of Isaiah and Isaiah six when he sees the ancient of days high lifted up, and he sees the seraphim swirling around, and he takes in this scene of holiness where the seraphim were calling out, "Holy, holy, holy!" Mm-hmm. And what is his response? "Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips." Even Isaiah says, my very presence profanes 
the holiness that I'm seeing before me. Mm. And if we have that mindset that even the most righteous human profanes the holiness of God, we recalibrate how we think about our scale. Mm. It's not you know, super rights human on one end and super vile human on the other end. It's super righteous and super human right next and super vile human right next to each other on one end and the holiness of God on the other end. That is a- and there's a vast gulf between the two that can only be bridged when we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Amen. And that's what we should desire for all people. John, that is an excellent point. Um, you know, we, we live in, in quasi Mormon country here in Las Vegas. Uh, it's, it actually, I think most people don't realize the culture of Las Vegas. Uh, everyone thinks strip and the strip is where the tourists go. The locals don't live on the strip. Uh, we have, we have a lot of Mormons here and when you run into them, they, they have the appearance of the nicest people in the world, Right give you the shirt off their back, uh, you know, 12 kids, big, nice, you know, Nissan van. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it dawned on me at some point, uh, you know, cause, cause I think you, you just mentioned a lot of us think people on the left are less godly and people on the right are more godly. And so we want to bring bring people to the right to be more godly. But the reality is, at some level, conservatism and Mormonism go together. And yet they're as dark as dark can be because of their rejection of Christ and because of their way that they defame his character and his name. And they deny the gospel. And so I think you, that's an excellent point, right? That, that the, the, the far left, you know, fraternity, you know, things you don't want to read about, and things you definitely can't let your kids, you can't let your kids watch that movie. Right. But if we saw it from God's eyes, we actually couldn't let our kids watch the family value movie that denies God either. And so that, that's an excellent point. They're, they're both on the far end of the scale of completely ungodly, defiled, rebellious, unthankful Romans one. They don't give thanks to God or praise God. And then the gap is there. And then holiness is on the other end of the gap, and that's God's character. Phenomenal point. All right. Thank you. I think that, you know, when Gino was talking about the bad guys, we have to remember that we're all the bad guys. Amen. That all fall short of the glory of God. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's why Christ came yeah. to reconcile sinful man to a holy God. Not to um, select the the people who were already godly. There weren't any. Interesting. So, you know, as we view uh, politics, politicians. I mean, um, I, there's always this. You know, uh, there's always this sense that, um, gosh, should I be suspicious of? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, like what are their motives? Like, uh, so, like, how, how does a Christian even think? Uh, so, like, how should politics function in a Christian's life? Because uh, you talk about function a lot. Um, 
Like, how does it work in your mind, John? Well, I think it's all secondary. I mean, I think it's Psalm 108 tells us to not put our trust in, in a prince, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Hmm. So, as we remember that we're exiled in this place, as we remember that we're in the world, but not of the world, as we remember that our true citizenship is in heaven, yes, those things are important, but they're secondary to our kingdom responsibilities. And however we look at politics has to come through the lens of the redemption that we have in Christ mm. and how we're to act in light of it. You know. Yeah, I love that reminder that we're really citizens of another kingdom. Yeah. And we get so wrapped up in in American electoral politics and we forget so easily that the vast majority of believers are not U.S. citizens. Um, yeah, you're, you're talking worldwide. Really, yeah, something yeah. that really helped me and helped me think about differently was um, two French guys, and it was translated in English. I don't know if it's still in print and available. Wrote a book called The Gospel and the Citizen, Philippe Guerin whoever he's serving under in France, wrote this book that looks this through a non-American lens. Um, and their issues are different than, than what we fight about. What we in the U.S. fight about, they're 10, 20 years past down the road. Oh, wow. And so they're wondering, how do you interact with um, the government in light of the gospel? And all of the things that we think we have to stand up and fight for, those fights have already been lost in France. Mm -hmm. So now they're thinking in terms of pure obedience. How do we live out the gospel in relationship to a government that's in a political milieu that doesn't place any value on us as believers and doesn't? think of believers as a, as a voting block. Hmm. How does the believer interact with politics in a quote-unquote post-Christian society? Hmm. And yeah. in some ways, I think we're in post-Christian society in the U.S., and in other ways, I think we're in a pre-Christian society. I don't think the U.S. was ever a Christian nation. Amen. It may have had an illusion of godliness, like Paul says, a form of godliness, but it was never truly Christian, so we're deluding ourselves to think that we're standing up for for the kingdom when we interact with politics, however. That's a great point. I know in my my political science days um, and just kind of history reading that most of the American founding fathers uh, are not believers. And by most, I mean like 98% of them uh, rejected the gospel 
Thomas Jefferson outright rejected the gospel. Um, you know, and yet you had the Puritans who viewed America as the new Israel. And so mm-hmm. you really have this, on the one hand, this deism where God's not active, where he winds the clock and sets the clock in motion, guiding at a philosophical level, right? But but they ascribe the name God to it. And then you have the Puritans kind of creating this idea that we're the new Israel. You almost can see where those two narratives have almost been bought into by Americans to think, oh, America is like the new Israel. We're the godly of godly nations. And yet you go back and you realize, right, the, the Puritans were wrong. This was not a new Israel. Uh, and we were founded on deists. And that, that doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean that their view of government is bad. I mean, I, you know, there's a lot that I can agree with philosophically in their approach to government. Uh, but but it, to me, like what you just said, it helps bring a little bit of balance. You know, missionaries were talking in the Middle East about uh, that if you were a missionary and you wanted to go to Iraq, it was better to be a missionary in Iraq under Saddam Hussein than it is currently today. And when America yeah. got involved and upended and uprooted and changed the government, what happened was we hurt the gospel. In fact, it, something else is interesting, and, and John, you probably have heard this, right? Japan, before World War II, was a hotbed for missionaries. In fact, in the story of Unbroken, while uh, Louis Zamperini is sitting in jail one day, this Japanese guard, tss, tss, hey, you a Christian? And Louis goes, yeah. And he goes, oh, I'm a Christian too. And Louis said he was super kind to him. And then like two days later, the guy disappears. And then after the bomb, they don't want anything to do with American missionaries. Mm. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting, right? How, how that narrative kind of drives there. And, um, you know, John, we talked a little bit before, uh, that maybe, maybe our vitriol and our engagement in politics might be damaging our mission field. How, how do you, how do you think we're damaging the mission field? Cause I think it's an excellent point. Well, how do you go from saying that you're an idiot if you believe this, you're stupid, if you, you're evil, you're a fool? Let me tell you about Christ. Mm. You, <laughs> you know, you can't just abuse people and abuse people and abuse people and then expect to bring the gospel to them. Now, I'm not in any way denying the sovereignty of God over salvation. Right. But from our perspective, you know, if you have, I'm not talking about building a platform, I'm talking about not taking acts to whatever platform you have in someone's life. Um, I'm sure you know who Rosaria Butterfield is, but have you ever heard her testimony? Yes. She says the people got to her, they got to her because they were nice to her. Mm. So when they talked about the gospel to her, they had a platform in their in their life. 
where that every time they saw it, they had something vile to say, or even every time they saw it, they just shook their head and went in their door and slammed it in, the, in their house. They wouldn't have been the ones that God used to bring her to a saving knowledge of Christ. And when we denigrate and belittle and mock those who um, who are lost, how do we then tell them this is how you become found? Let me show you the way. I know I've been calling you an idiot for <laughs> however long. Right. Why would they listen to us? That, that that's an excellent point. I'm very slow to hear whatever comes out of someone's mouth after they've insulted me. Yeah. Hey, you dummy. Yeah. Believe in believe yeah. in my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's well. It goes right against Second Timothy two twenty four. The Lord's bond servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all. And I have to think you would have political leaders in mind there. Able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. You know, it's amazing the tools there are kindness, truth, patience, long suffering, gentleness. Yeah, I think you're right, man. I think I think that attitude right, I mean the church is about making disciples. And so kind of to bring this back to the point of the podcast and helping us be churchmen and making disciples Right, and so my focus is church. My focus is exalting God and worshiping God in my relationship with the church, and the purpose of the church is to make disciples. And the reality is, no matter who you meet, if they are being made a disciple, whatever political issues that you disagree with, if your stance is a godly stance, God is going to conform that individual to his righteousness anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why? For me, it's almost like, why? Why look to the government, right? When when we have to make disciples with the people in front of us, and as atrocious as abortion is, I know this: if if you're in my church and under the influence of the Word of God and the people in the church, and you've just come into the church and you're newly pregnant and you're contemplating abortion. If God's spirits in you and we're, we're loving you and helping you walk through life and make disciples, you're going to change your mind. You, you're going to, your contemplation of abortion is going to end as you consider how to be godly in the delivery of this baby. You know? Right. Yeah. And so to me it's, it's, you know, cause I think some people in this conversation will say, well, but some of the things we're talking about the government are very serious. And it's like, I get that, mm-hmm. but, but you know, it's like there, there's, there's a demonization going on of while well, pastors are following these, these different race theories. And it's like, okay, but are we in the local church here? You know, and who in your low, who in your local church, who in your church family is having racism issues? And, you know, maybe some of the people in our local churches were once racist, but now they're not because the spirit's transforming. And so it's, it's weird, right? It's almost like, Hey, fighting these battles that you think are important. Yes, I get that that you see where the government kind of has a hand in it. 
But don't forget that you have a hand in this in individuals' lives and people in the church who want to be more like Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, so that that's the part, right? But it takes a lot more energy and a lot more patience to actually work with individuals. I think that's it. Maybe, maybe, you know, it's just easy to spout, to, to repost a meme. And, and, and I'm, I'm the first to admit there, there are a lot of political memes on both sides that I just find funny. I was going to say, it's just and, some really funny stuff. Out yeah. There, unfortunately. I mean, yeah, but it's unfortunate. And I don't know, John, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. There's a part of me that loves to laugh at political rhetoric, but there's also this part of this kind of this line in my mind of, you know what? I never want this to be personal. Um, so I, you know, I don't mind laughing at like Democrat and Republican memes cause I think they're funny, but on the flip side, I don't want to ever find myself like laughing at Biden because I disagree with him or laughing at Trump because I disagree with him. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I don't know. Is there, is there a balance there or do I need to rethink my, um, my laughing at the political process? I'm open for correction. Well, I think you can certainly laugh at some things at the political process. Um, but there's a difference between laughing at the process and laughing at the person. I agree. I, mean, I think it's, it's legitimate to hold the process up for ridicule. But it's not legitimate to hold the person up for ridicule. Because the process wasn't created in the image of God. Mm. The person was. Yeah, I like it. And so that's a person of infinite value. Maybe wrong, who may be wrong about many things, maybe enslaved just and maybe promoting things. Yeah. But that doesn't negate the image of God that's within them. Yeah, that's true. Amen. Hard stuff there, John. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's helpful for me because I know early on I had to just kind of back away from, from laughing at anything political, mm. just kind of as my knee jerk reforming of my thinking, you know? Yeah. Now I find there's a lot more sympathy for, for our political leaders. Um, you know, especially realizing we live, you know, going back to that first point, we live in a very narrative driven world. And mm-hmm. if I don't really know what's going on in the white house, then any news media report I read at some level, like you said, this is the report that sold the most advertisements. You know, it's like Facebook knows, Hey, nobody maybe has interacted with your posts for a couple hours, but you logged back in. And so we're going to, we're going to show you something that somebody did actually yesterday. Um, so that you stay in Facebook longer. So we sell our ads longer. Oh, good strategy and they know <laughs> their algorithms have figured out that what drives interaction is outrage yes and they figured out that if you're on the left this this outrages you and if you're on the right this outrages you and they constantly feed you political things that are going to outrage you yep yeah, I don't know if you ever saw the uh, Howard Stern movie, but there was an interesting line in there when he was with NBC, and NBC didn't like his shenanigans because they were very old school broadcasting in their approach. And of course, Howard Stern is not 
right? Again, he's not the guy you go, hey, kids, let's listen in as a family together. Um, but what they found early on was that the average person that likes Howard Stern would listen for like 20 to 30 minutes a day. The people that hated Howard Stern were listening for like four hours. And it's interesting because at some point, like you said, John, the media realized, hey, if we can get you angry, you will actually stay tuned in compared mm-hmm. to, you know, the, and that, that they're not trying to reach people like us who want reasonable answers and are trying to gather information. We are not their target audience. So when we even complain to them and say, hey, can you give us something factual that we can actually sink our teeth into? They're like, why would we waste our time on your 2%? Mm. there's right. 80%. This is what, this is like, this is what makes us money. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah all you have to do is, um, I tell people not to, but for experimental purposes, just click on cable news for three minutes. I would bet money. You're either going to see something about weather that's going to destroy you probably even though you don't live anywhere near that and if it's not some catastrophic weather event it's going to be two people arguing there's an 85 percent chance that's what you're going to get so it's either natural disaster or this is a political thing you should be upset about and here's two people to argue and you can emulate the anger of the guy who agrees with you against the guy who doesn't when you meet them in real life. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing we forget is that, you know, I, I try to, you know, if, if we're going to actually love people, right. And even politicians on the other side of the fence, um, you have to assume that they, I mean, even if their policies are so wrong, you have to assume that they actually want the best for us. Um, I mean that's really hard because you're like, how can they even, how can even, how can you even assume that when it's so far from the truth? But you know, um, I, I don't know, isn't that what love does? Like they're actually, you know, if, if you approached a um, a person assuming that they're not actually trying to hurt you, maybe unless they unless unless they actually are trying to physically hurt you, or I don't know, maybe I mean I know cancel culture is real, and I know that like you know. Christians are being, I feel like Christians are being more disenfranchised as, as we, you know, you're talking about that the French government 20 years from now is kind of, is going to be who we are or the French government today is going to be who we are 20 years from now where Christians are really disenfranchised. I don't know. Is that, is that a weak spot for us or what are we, how are we even supposed to, is that even a, a good way to uh, think about, you know, politicians like, man, they, they want the best for us or should we be, be suspicious of them? Well, I think the answer to both those questions is yes. Um, we should be suspicious of politicians because I think most of them are self-interested. But putting that aside, I don't think anybody is going about the business of advocating for things they believe are going to be harmful. You know, to jump out of the realm of politics. I hear alternative medicine being debated all the time. And people say, 
well, these doctors want you to suffer. No, they don't. That's not why they went to medical school, went into that, you know, why they dissected bodies in medical school, done all of this arduous, unpleasant work because they want to con you into doing what's best. They may be wrong, but they're doing it because they think what they're doing is is good. Mm. Yeah, no, that's I a good think point. it's it's a mistake to try and formulate the motivations of others because it always goes to our darkest thoughts when we try and come up with the motivation of those who disagree with us. I mean, if they were good people and they were smart, they would agree with us. So if they don't, it must be because they're dumb and evil. And that's just the way the human mind works. Right. Well, let's, uh, let's probably, um, we're at that time. Yeah, we're, we're, I think we're there. Um, Johnny, any other kind of closing thoughts you'd want to provide? Just one. Um, I hear people talk about their rights all the time and their rights of being trampled and their rights to this and their rights to that. There is exactly, I found one right given to us in Scripture. It's in John 1, 12, and 13. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name as in Christ's name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Anything you perceive as a right beyond that, that's the human philosophy. Mm. Oh, that's a great Good point. Good stuff. Yeah, even the dog was excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh amen, man. That I think that's our focus. Gotta gotta maintain that focus and gotta not let uh political issues detract us from advocating that promise that if you have faith in Christ, you are his child. And, uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, you know, when we're in heaven and we learn that we're sitting next to people that we disagree with politically, we're going to be so happy they're there. Amen. Right. And they're going to be happy. We're there. And I wonder if at some time we'll kind of look back and go, man, we were so sinful in the things that we conceptually warred over on earth and praise God that he forgave us. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and still led us here despite our blind spots. And so, yeah, man, I, John, it's great to have you on. Yeah, John, uh, thanks for your heart, man. That's awesome. Yeah, really I know you, uh, you have a, a panel where you're going to be discussing this in a panel form coming up, right? Right. Um, we have a regional conference, um, used to be called Grace Advanced in Atlantic, but they've changed names. So I don't know what the name of the conference will be, but it's, uh, third weekend in October at Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. So normally the way the conference works is there would be messages and seminars, but this year as they narrowly focus on the things that are important in the church right now, government and disaster. 
Um, there's going to be messages followed by panels with pastors of churches that make up that regional fellowship. So if you're in the Mid-Atlantic, they'd be happy to have you. Excellent. Yeah, so we may, we're maybe too left coast for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey, um, John, really appreciate your time. And so uh, we, we'll be praying for that. And, uh, again, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you have questions, don't don't hesitate to ask us, text us, uh, email us, uh, pull us aside and ask for us to take you out for a cup of coffee and talk about it some more because we will all do that. Um, again, if you're listening and you're not involved in the church, in our local church and we said something your pastor disagrees with, listen to your pastor. Um, Listen to the men that pray for your soul and shepherd your soul above and beyond us. And uh, thanks for listening. And uh, until next time, we will uh, hear or see from you soon. 